Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, some days um, I'm extra reminded of how small I am, how small we are in this universe. And today is one of those days. Lord, we are a small church in a small town in one small place on this massive planet in this universe that is so vastly beyond us. And yet, Lord, I thank you so much that we have come to know the massive Christ in all his glory. And I pray that this morning the the spirit of the Lord Jesus would be in our small hearts and enlarge our hearts with love for him today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, this morning we are going to be in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. These are some of the most powerful verses about the Lord Jesus that are in our Bibles. So I'm going to start without any other introduction by just reading these verses about the Lord Jesus. Colossians 1, starting about at verse 15. He, which if you look in verse 14, is the beloved son. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have become, been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the church, the body, and he is the beginning, the firstborn, from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, the first place. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile, bring back to himself all things, whether things in heaven, on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here's the main idea that these verses are communicating. What are these verses saying? They're saying this. Jesus is supreme. That means above all. He's got the first place, your translation might say. Jesus is supreme in creation and in new creation because he is the source and ruler of all things. Jesus is supreme in creation and in new creation. 
because he is the source of all things and the ruler of all things. Now there's two main points from these two main from this main idea, I mean, we see two main things. First, we're going to see that Jesus is God's firstborn image over all creation. Second, we will see that Jesus is God's firstborn beginning of a new creation. Everything else in these verses supports those two claims about Jesus. Jesus is God's firstborn image over ruling over all creation. And second, Jesus is God's firstborn beginning of a new creation. And everything else supports that. So first, Jesus is the firstborn image over all creation. Do you see that in verse 15? The Son, talking about Jesus here, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So, God the Father is invisible. We cannot see him. He dwells in unapproachable light. John, the gospel writer in the New Testament, says this. John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the only unique Son, some translations might have the only begotten Son, the, 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 the phrase there that John uses is, of all the sons of God, both sons on earth and the heavenly sons of God, the angels, this Son, Jesus, is the unique one. He's in a class of his own. Why? We'll get to that in a minute. The unique Son. But before... Paul explains the unique son. He says that this son is in God's image. And as God's image, he's also the firstborn over all creation. This is not unique in and of itself to call someone a firstborn son and an image who's over creation. Can you think of any other human in the Bible who is God's son, a firstborn son, who is in the image of God and who is put in charge over all creation. Adam, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, Adam is the first human made. He's called the image of God, which is loaded with sonship ideas in the Bible. For example, later in Genesis 5, Adam gives, has a son named Seth. And Seth is in Adam's image. Sonship and image go together. What do you th think? Think about that for a minute. Do kids tend to look like their parents? They image their parents for better or for worse. If you have bad teeth, your kids will probably have bad teeth, right? You image your parents. A firstborn son is the image of his dad. And Adam was created to rule over the works of God's hands in creation. This ruling idea is all bound up in the Bible with firstborn language. The firstborn image of a son, of a king, the firstborn image in the Bible is um, the sonship language. And when a king has a firstborn son, think about it. If Pharaoh has ten sons, who's going to be the next Pharaoh? The firstborn. Unless his brothers do something to bump him off, or if he does something to tick his dad off. 
okay? Usually, the firstborn son is the next king. Here, God has a firstborn son in Genesis, Adam. But now, Paul's not talking about Adam here. Notice that. He's talking about Jesus. What do we make of this? Jesus is the only unique Son of God. Paul is saying that Jesus is the image that all the other images of God in heaven and on earth were patterned off of. Here's an illustration from John's Gospel. In John chapter 14, verses 8 to 10, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So we want to see the invisible God. That's what Philip is saying. And Jesus, in verse 9 of John 14, says, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So here, Jesus, without using the word image, is saying, I am imaging the Father. All other created sons of God, whether Adam on earth or the angels in heaven, they were supposed to obey and love and follow God and reflect his goodness and character just as Jesus does. But Jesus is the first image, the one who imaged first. And Paul explains this more in the verses that follow. So, we're going to see five reasons that Paul gives that Jesus is the first image of God that has always existed and earthly images like Adam and all other images and heavenly images, the heavenly sons of God, the Bible calls angels the sons of God. Very interestingly, they image God in heaven, in the heavenly realm, And humans are to image God, rule on God's behalf, in the earthly realm. And Jesus is the image behind all the other images. All right, so this is what Paul's going to say about Jesus. He says, Jesus made all these. By him, he says, verse 16, all things were created. What things? Well, remember the language of Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a summary statement for everything else that comes in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And here, Paul says, For by Jesus, all things were created. And he unpacks these things now, Paul does. He says, things in heaven and on earth. Visible, that would be earthly things, and invisible. That would be heavenly things in the heavenly realm. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. So here Paul's saying Jesus is the agent of the creation of heaven and of earth. And of all things in the realm of heaven, God's invisible realm, and all things in the realm of earth, the the visible realm of humans, All thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him. This language of thrones and powers and rulers and authorities, it includes 
angels and demons in the Bible. Paul often speaks this way. It includes both the faithful sons of God and the divine heavenly council and the rebels who have followed the devil and fallen. All beings and rulers and powers in heaven and on earth, they were created by God through Jesus, the image of God, and the firstborn over the realms of heaven and earth. He is the creator. So the firstborn language is the language, it's a title. It means first king. And the son, the image of God, the invisible. The second thing to see is that everything was created for Jesus. By Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. See at the end of verse 16? Everything that exists, exists for Jesus. The stars are for Jesus. The planets are for Jesus. You ever wonder, you look out in space and you think, why so vast? Why are we such a speck? There's got to be more. And there is. There is a massive creator, Jesus all the planets, all the solar systems, by Jesus and for Jesus. Flowers and rivers, rocks and hills, humans, animals, the cherubim and the seraphim, they are all created for Jesus. Your life is for Jesus. He made you for himself. You didn't create yourself. You didn't invent yourself. There is a purpose for your life that's outside of you. Why are you here on this earth? Because of Jesus. You belong to the Son of God. Your life was made to point towards his life. Just like the water at, a, at the bottom of a mountain points back to the spring at the top that was its source, so all of life points back to the life of the Son of God. The beauty of life points back to his beauty. The greatness and majesty of the universe points to his greatness. The wisdom on display all around us points to his wisdom. The power of creation points to his power. And when we humans love the way that he has called us to love, it points to his love. Everything in this world is for Jesus. As Paul says in Romans 11, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This universe was made to put the honor of Jesus on display for us to enjoy and to sing about forever. The third thing supporting Paul's claim that Jesus is the ultimate firstborn image of God is that Jesus is before all things. See that in verse 17? There is nothing that exists before Jesus, and there's nothing that has ever come into being that is not from Jesus. He's the source of everything in the universe. He's before everything in the universe. No angel was before Jesus. No rock, no planet, no star, nothing. Jesus is the eternal image of the invisible God. If there's anything in the realm of heaven, it was put there by Jesus. If there's anything in the realm of earth, it was put there by the Lord Jesus. His relationship with the Father goes back before the world began. He did not make you because he was lonely. 
He didn't make angels because he needed a little help ruling the universe. No, he made you because he wanted you to experience the Father's love as he does. And he wanted to share the honor of taking care of the universe with others. So, Jesus is before all things and forth. Everything holds together in him. Think about this. Jesus holds the universe together. The laws of nature are simply the way that he chooses to do it most often. Gravity was the design of Jesus. How does Jesus keep you from floating off this planet? Gravity. Mathematics and science, the study of the universe, they are simply the process by which humans recognize and organize our understanding of the mighty power of Jesus. And there is still a lot more we don't know than we know. This is his world. He spoke it into existence. His wisdom is on display wherever you look. Even many of the staunchest atheists in the world today are beginning to realize that the almost infinite amount of information in our universe must have come from somewhere. And they often now are proposing an infinitely intelligent mind far more developed than the most sophisticated computers we could even think of. An alien mind. We will say that this alien mind is the mind of God. The creator who has spoken the universe into existence through Jesus. We are not brains being in some simulated reality, as the brilliant Elon Musk would say, because you have to have an answer for all this information. It's, it cannot arise from chance. And we as Christians would say, no, it came from Jesus. From the majestic grandeur of a snow-peaked mountain range that you see and it calls you to lose yourself in the vastness of it all, to the beauty of a field of flowers, or even the intricate beauty of one single flower, Jesus sustains it. Time and space are simply how he has chosen for humans to interact with and experience reality. The periodic table, with all its elements, was his invention. The beautiful mind behind every little tidbit of genetic information in the universe is his mind. Jesus invented DNA. Jesus invented the cell. Jesus invented the atom and its parts. This is his world, and he holds it all together. The Father's wisdom is his wisdom. The Father is in him, and he is in the Father. They share the same spirit. This triune God is the creator of all, and everything holds together in him. The fifth thing Paul says here in verse 18, he says, Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. 
Remember, all of these things is supporting why Paul calls Jesus the image of the invisible God in the firstborn over all creation. And this fifth reason that Paul gives its support, it actually is going to move us into Paul's second main claim about Jesus. Not only is Jesus the firstborn over all creation, which again, this is king language. He is the king over all creation. He made it for himself. He sustains it for himself. It's for him. It's to put his greatness and beauty on display for us to enjoy and celebrate for eternity. Not only is he this, he is also the creator and ruler over the new creation. That's point two this morning. Jesus is God's firstborn beginning of a new creation. Look at verse 18. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And here's the purpose. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. Not only is Jesus supposed to have first place and be supreme over creation, but now that everything has fallen apart in this world because of sin and rebellion against the God of life, God the Father has chosen to give Jesus his image the first place, the supremacy in making everything new and in reestablishing God's rule over this world that has fallen into rebellion. So, verse 18 says, Jesus is the head of the church. What is the church? The church is God's assembly. That's what that word means, assembly. Big get-together of the new creation on earth. That's why we call our name New Creation Church. We are the New Creation Assembly. And Jesus is the head of this body, this new human body, a new creation. This new creation is the church, God's people, Christians. And Jesus is the head of a body of people. In other words, picture the church, right, like a, like a human body being formed by God's Spirit with the head being Jesus Christ, the head, the command center, the mind behind it all. And Jesus is breathing life into this body by his spirit, creating us into a new Adam, a new humanity, restored. Not perfectly yet. We are not what we will be one day. But truly, Jesus is the beginning of this new creation work. Hear the echo of Genesis 1 in the word beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is the beginning. The beginning of the first creation and the beginning of the new creation. And Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, which means that of all the people who have died under the curse of death in the old creation that went awry, Jesus is the first to be made alive. He's the first to be raised. And if a human head comes out of a grave alive, you would expect that the body will follow, right? It's the image here. Our head has been raised. The body of everyone connected by faith to the head will follow. The new Adam is rising from the dust of this creation, and the head has broken out of the grave first. That's the image that Paul is using. 
And if you are connected to the head, you will rise one day as well. Picture with me a graveyard. I was driving through North Granville on the way back from Richard's house Friday, I think it was. And I looked on the left as I was coming. I just saw those tombstones. And uh, have you ever, like, really looked at a graveyard? Every one of those people had tears shed over them. Lots of tears. Every one of those people has died. Now think of a graveyard. Some graveyards are huge. Think of one enough to hold the bodies of everyone who has ever died. Probably be bigger than the state of Texas. Billions, all dead and turned to dust. And only one has been raised never to die again. One stone. Picture a vast graveyard as far as the eye can see. And one stone tipped over. And one hole in the ground where he crawled out. <laughs> the first fruit from among the dead. The firstborn. The old creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth, Paul says in Romans 8. Groaning, trying to give birth to a new man. And when the head gets out on a baby, everything else goes like that. If you ever watched a baby be born, the head is the hardest. Jesus came out first. And the body's going to come out like that. God has raised him the first fruits, the firstborn from among the dead. And one day everyone who is connected to the new man through faith will rise from their graves when he returns. And Jesus has the first place in this. The first place. The purpose of raising Jesus first is to give Jesus the position of the firstborn human, the all-supreme ruler over the new creation. And verse 19 continues to give more reasons for this. God was pleased, Paul says, for all the fullness to dwell in Christ. If you want to skip your eyes down the page to Colossians 2 verse 9, Paul says this a different way there. For in him dwells all the fullness of the deity bodily. So all the fullness of what it means to be God dwells in Jesus the Son of God. This is why Jesus must be first. It's because he is God in bodily form. He is the image of the invisible God. He makes the invisible visible to us. He is the creator. As Paul says in verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And Paul goes on, verse 20, God has made all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and if God is in Jesus, then the way to be reconciled to God is to come to Jesus. And so, through, through him, God says, through Paul, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Through Jesus' cross, God is bringing all creation back to himself. 
That's what the word reconcile means. Jesus needs to be first in the work of new creation because in Jesus, God himself is bringing the world that's rebelled against him back into right relationship with himself. Jesus is God come to save us, and he saves us through the blood of his cross. That means that his life given on the cross is the life of God himself poured out for us. We're going to talk a lot more about this next week when we look at verses 21 to 23. But for now, just remember, on the cross, the eternal Son of God himself, full of the divine fullness in human flesh, he gave his life so that the two realms of heaven and earth might be reunited again under his rule. The God-man is on the throne of the universe. He created both realms And he was there when the sons of the heavenly realm, the Elohim, the spiritual beings, when they rebelled and Satan led the human rebellion and turned the sons of earth against their creator as well. And he was there when Satan was cast out of the divine council and heaven was purged. And he will be there one day when Satan is forever cast out of the new creation. Jesus is Lord, and he will bring heaven and earth together. That's what you see, by the way, in Revelation. (laughs) You don't see Christians going up to a floaty place in heaven. You see heaven coming down to earth at the end of the Bible. The realm of God is united once more with the realm of earth. And the two realms overlap in Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of heaven and the Lord of earth. So in conclusion, I'll say our main idea again. Jesus is supreme in creation and in new creation because he is the source and ruler of all things. Now here's some specific applications for your life. First, you belong to Jesus if you are a Christian. Jesus made you for himself and you say, he saved you rescued you from your sins for himself. That's not a selfish thing for Jesus to do. He did not have to create you. He didn't have to make you, but he wanted to. He made the world to share his life with the world. And so your life belongs doubly to Jesus because he made you and he saved you. And if you belong to Jesus, and if you exist for Jesus, and your hope of future resurrection life in the new creation is bound up with your hope in Jesus, then the meaning of your life is to know and enjoy the life found in relationship with God the Father through Jesus. Why are you here? To know Jesus and to live for Jesus. Your time belongs to Jesus. It's his time. He's Lord over it. May the name of Jesus fly like a banner over everything you do. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, whether word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If it's fun, it's done with gratitude to Jesus. If it's work, It's done as if done for Jesus. If it's a conversation, it's had with the love and truth and kindness of Jesus. You were made for Jesus. 
Just as Jesus images the Father, so you, by the Spirit, were made to image Jesus. To be a picture of the picture. So that this universe would be filled with the beauty and the life and the love of our Creator. So have you ever just wondered about the purpose of your life? Like, What's it all about? What does it even matter what I do with my time and with my life? It does matter. You were made for a relationship with the Lord to be filled with his love and to reflect his beauty and enjoy the life that he has given you. That's the meaning of life. Your life matters. It counts. It means something. And the second thing I want to take away is that Jesus holds everything together. You ever felt like everything around you was falling apart? Relationships, your job, your plans, your dreams, a marriage. In this world, there is great brokenness and pain and suffering and uncertainty there is one thing that is guaranteed you in this life and that is the fact that you will suffer jesus says it in this world you will have tribulation but take heart i have overcome the world the question is how much suffering we'll face and for how long but suffering was not a part of the original creation that Jesus made. And suffering will not be a part of the final new creation that Jesus will usher in when he appears. But in the meantime, we do suffer. Life is hard. And ultimately, death cuts this earthly life off from the beauty and the goodness of God's realm, the heavenly realm. There is no death there. There's no suffering there. Heaven... And this earthly life have been ripped apart. The realm of heaven and all its beauty and goodness has been ripped apart from the realm of earth because of Adam's terrible choice. But Jesus, the last Adam, the firstborn ruler of creation, Jesus, the one who made both the realm of heaven and the realm of earth, he came to earth to suffer and be ripped apart and to die in order to bring everything together again, to make heaven and earth one, to reconcile in his flesh God and man. That's what Paul is saying in Colossians 20. Even though, 1 verse 20, even though this earthly life falls apart and eventually you die, yet, if you trust in Jesus, he holds everything together. Not only does he have the power to keep your soul connected to heaven's peace and joy and comfort right now, but he is also the connection between your death and your resurrection one day in the new creation. He is the firstborn from among the dead. He is our hope. And my prayer today is that each one of you has placed your trust, your hope in Jesus. So I want to end by asking you this question. How big is your Jesus? When you think of Jesus, what comes to mind? Just a nice guy 
whose ideas you want to learn from, just someone who forgives you and accepts you no matter what so you can do whatever you want with your life and know that it's going to be okay? Do you view Jesus as your life cheerleader, just cheering you on in your dreams and your goals? How do you view Jesus? There's, there's all sorts of ways that our world views Jesus. I'm asking you, what do you think of when you think of Jesus? And here's what Paul wants you to know. You cannot possibly think of Jesus as big as he really is. You are going to spend eternity figuring out how big and massive our Savior Jesus really is. And the more that we come to know him now, the closer we will be to him forever. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask right now that you would awaken in our hearts a longing to know the Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who doesn't truly know who Jesus is, that your Holy Spirit would just awaken their hearts to the bigness and the beauty and the love of our Savior Jesus. I ask that your Holy Spirit would stir us all with desire to live for Jesus both now and forever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.